choices, God gives, gives us a ton of them. So we're going to talk about some of those today. Um, my folks will appreciate a little story uh, that, that I want to talk about. Uh, and I was probably, you know, when I was growing up, you know, a lot of you guys know that I used to like to play a lot of baseball. Um, now I've got kids that play ball, you know, which is great. And I like to play softball still. But when I was a kid, though, around 10, probably actually before that, but, you know, that's all I thought about was baseball. That's all I wanted to play. In the summer, that's what I did. Woke up, went to the playground, played ball. My mom would call me in to come chow. I'd come chow, and then I'd go right back out and go play. Playing, uh, you know, in the rain. Um, didn't matter if it was cold. You know, I would just go play. And one of the things I really loved was uh, when the Tiger game was on the TV. Um, which back then, you know, it's not like now. You can see almost all of them. I mean, they're not on Fox Sports, you know. They're, you know, in some distant channel somewhere on your cable and you can find them. Well, back then, they were only on, like, Sunday and then all the away games. But the away games were my favorites because they, those were at night. And my folks would let me stay up. And I would always remember, you know, games would start at 7.05 or 7.35, you know. Never understood the 05 or the 35 part, but all right. But I used to always sit in the same rocking chair. And it was a real high back one, you know. And I would rock and I'd watch the ball game, you know. It's like a big pacifier that rocking chair was. And um, I'd make it about three or four innings and then I would be out. And either my mom or my dad would wake me up, you know, and carry me to my room and I go to sleep. And if it was an away game, there'd be another one the next day. So I get to do the whole thing over and over again. And the thing is, is that I really love the game. But boy, I really love that chair too. You know, I mean, I still, they still have the chair. And every once in a while I'll see the chair and I'm like, yeah, I remember that chair, you know. Fall asleep in that chair a lot. But here's the thing, is... um the chair actually took me away from the thing that I really desired, and that was the ball game. You know, I really wanted to play ball, and I really wanted to watch the ball game, but I'd get in the chair, and then after a couple, two or three innings, I'd lose interest in the game, and I'd just give in and fall asleep. So, you know, I'm learning a life lesson when I look back on a lot of my childhood, and you know, just kind of parallels and, and things that I can draw from. And that was one of them, is that I think, um, I think what I'm learning is this, is that the devil gets into your life and he relaxes you. He sneaks up on you. He puts you in that big chair and then he lulls you to sleep. And then as you revisit the chair, it becomes easier and easier and quicker and quicker you're able to fall asleep. You know, and I bring this up uh, mainly, you know, I, you know, I want to talk about a little bit about relationships and, and, and the devil's ploy for you guys and God's desire for you guys too. Um, I've been married now to Kristen, my sweetie's up there. I've got a kid that's got a snotty nose, so she has to stay up there. She's in the snotty nose section. I think it's seat four, section A top there. Well, we've been married for 19 years. That's a, that's a long time. I never thought that I'd make it that far. No, I'm just kidding. Um, actually, it's not surprising, but it seems like just yesterday we were married. You know, I got six kids. 
You know, there's something wrong with me right there, right? Six kids. You should see my customers when they say, oh, how many kids you got? I have six. I'm like, can I get your jaw back up, you know? There might be a fly that flies in there. But I also have had two dogs, you know. One's dead, but the other one's not. Um, <laughs> lots of other fish, turtles, you know, you name it, they've all died. You know, except for one. We're trying to kill that one now, it looks like. But anyway, so, uh, but here's the thing, though, is that most of the time, time goes by so quickly. I mean, it goes by fast. Um, you know, but other times... You know, it just crawls by. When it's going by fast, though, marriage is easy. I mean, how many guys know that relationships are a little tough? But when they're good relationships, you know, it goes by pretty easy. So marriage is easy. The kids are easy. Their personalities are easy. The events are easy. You know, all those things are easy. What, what I think is really cool is that when it's when it's easy, you can overlook their shortcomings, and more importantly, they can overlook mine. But when it's hard, it's really hard. Having a five-minute conversation with my wife can be the hardest thing that I do that day. I saw Shirley smile. Because she knows, you know. <laughs> she knows, you know. Sometimes it's just really tough. You know, and from that, for me, work is really inviting on the, during those times because it's my escape. It's, I'm, I'm good at that, so I, I, I can run to it, right? You know, my duty as a father is exactly that, and as a husband is exactly that at that time. Instead of being a devotion where I show my love to Kristen and the kids, instead it's a duty where I just go through the motions, and what ends up happening is I fall miserably short of what God wants my relationship with my wife to be, with my kids to be, with my friends to be. So, um, you know, I, I look back at that and I see that during those, those times uh, of struggle, you know, it's easy to, to finally see what I need and, and I need God. And I need him in a big way. You know, so I, I I'm always evaluating, um, but but here's the thing: is that he wants our relationships to be a toil, to be a struggle, right? Because here's what he here's what he doesn't want you to have. He doesn't want you to have joy in your relationships, right? And he's going to do it really sneaky. Most times he's not going to smack you in the head with a shovel. You know, he's going to lull you to sleep. He's going to put you in the chair. He's going to rock you. And then the next thing you know, it's out of control. You know, you've missed, you've missed all the ball game. You haven't even made it through two innings, maybe even one out, and you're right there with, with him instead of with him. So I have a few scriptures that I want to share on, you know, because it's time to take the high ground back. How many of you guys are, are war buffs? You know, how about Gettysburg? You ever heard of that? My kids, if I got any here, better be saying yes. You know, General Lee, he kept going up the ground, right? He, he had the worst ground possible, and he put his head down, and he kept charging 50,000 deaths later. You know, he's still lost, right? But we have to take the high ground back. And, and Jesus provides us with that opportunity. 
I think it's really interesting, uh, some of the scripture that God led me to read. Um, just talking about how strong Satan is and how seriously we need to take him. Um, let's look at John 10.10. 10. I like this part. Ah, there we go. Oh, it's not 10.10, 10, bro. It's pretty close, though. Oh, Chris, so disappointing. <laughs> Pat loaded it in. Anyway, so I'm just going to read it. It says, the, key, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. And then it goes on. It says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. The thief is the enemy. You know, there's no asterisk there. He says that he comes to kill, steal, and destroy, right? In our relationships, what does he want? He wants to kill it. He wants to destroy it. He wants to be part of your life, but not in a godly sense. That's all the, that's all the devil's after. He's after destruction. And he's going to show it in as many ways possible. And so my question for you guys is, are you taking him seriously? I've spent a lifetime harassing the devil. I don't think ticking off the devil is the thing to do. I think destroying the devil is the thing to do. As we get further on, I'll, I'll, I'll explain that a little bit more. You know, I have to admit, though, I'm like the worst one, though, because I let my guard down all the time. You know, um, I know that it, when it's down, it's usually when I'm up. Does that make any sense? You know, I don't, I, you know, all my accounts have paid, <laughs> you know. I'm not seeking God through surrender. You know, I'm going through the motions. You know, it's when I'm down, when I don't have any place to turn to that it seems like I can dial right into God so much easier. You know, but here's what the devil does. You know, he lulls you. And then he just creeps into your head, right? And he attaches a weight to you. And when he attaches the weight to you, you know what? the devil does he just leaves i don't believe that the devil just jumps inside you i think he does for a second he gets you to carry the weight that he leaves on you and what happens after that it manifests it gets bigger and bigger and bigger and as christians we need to be able to to speak to that to get that out of our lives because if not what's going to happen you're going to carry it you're going to get used to the weight and then it's going to be with you and the devil hasn't even broke a sweat because he's got you to carry all the weight. The corruption in, in your relationships. It's because of that. It, it's because he gets you to do all his work for you. Instead of speaking to the truth into those situations, we just assume it and we carry it. First uh, Peter 5.8 says this. It says, uh, be, sober, be of sober spirit. Be on alert. You're... Your um, adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to to devour. I mean, do you see? The devil prowls around like a a roaring lion. And he's trying to devour you, devour your relationships, to find that little crack in your armor to get in. And I think for me especially that I'm, I'm constantly being warned of it. But so many times I look the other way. 
you know. And it's only on reevaluation re- of the situation that I can see what exactly he did to me and how he affected my life. Because here's what he desires. He wants to devour any godliness that's in us. I mean, any holiness that he can see, he wants it all. He wants to rob us of joyfulness, peacefulness, wisdom, knowledge, compassion, righteousness. He wants to rob all those things from us, from our relationships with each other. And I think for us to discount the fact of how powerful he is is turning a blind eye to the fact that, you know, and a lot of us, he has, he has a, a footstool in our lives and we're passively letting it affect us. So here's the thing that I think the scariest thing for the devil is for me, that he tricks us into thinking that God's mercy and grace isn't for us that we're unworthy of that because of the, of the sin in our lives. Or maybe it's the, the past sin. Maybe it's the current sin. You know, Pastor Pat talked about flaming arrows coming in, you know, and deflecting them. You know, the, the devil is the one that puts those things in your, in your head that tells you you're not good enough, that you're not strong enough, that you're not Christian-alike. And we have to be able to, to fight those things. We have to, have to be able to stand up. You know, I put a notation here. It's like, you know, I want to lead by example, and I do. If it's good or bad, though, that's up to me, right? I mean, I know my kids see a good example most of the time, but sometimes they just don't. You know, so I have to really examine myself to make sure that I'm setting those and sometimes they're really painful because you've got to fight with your flesh and you have to be able to let things go. And it's really tough. I look at it like this. Uh, you guys ever been to like Lee Road in 96? Okay, right, okay, Lee Road 96. That was like the first time I ever saw one of those turnabouts. You know what I'm talking about, right? So I'm driving through and I see like five people in lawn chairs. And they're like off to the side and it just opened. I found out that there actually had almost 20 people that were watching people crash for the first like four days this thing was on, it was open. <laughs> I thought that would be kind of entertaining actually, you know. But here's the thing about a turnabout. There's like four things that can happen. One of them is you can go into the circle. And you can never leave the circle. You just drive aimlessly. You know, I did that. I remember the first time I went through, I went past my exit like twice, you know. So, you know, I, finally I got to the right one and I took off. Probably cut two or three people off. But when you got a big truck, people get right out of your way. It's amazing, you know, especially when they see the condition of my big truck. You know, they understand, right? So the other option is, though, that you get in it, tooling around, right? Next thing you know, you're going back the same way you just came from. You're like, come on, you know, right? I mean, I've did that a bunch. Okay, how about, how about this one? This one? This one is probably my favorite one. You get in it, your wife calls you. So you're on the phone. Next thing you know, you're going the entirely the wrong way. You're about three miles down the road, and you realize, where the heck am I at? You didn't, it's not the same way you just came from. It's, it's, it, you needed to go west, and you're going north. You know, and there's no, there's no way to turn back, turn back around. That's easy, right? But the other way, though, is the, is the one that you actually exit 
and you get closer to God, right? You're in the turnabout. You're in the right lane. You're not merging, trying to squish a foreign car. If you have a foreign car, I'm sorry, but I would like to squish yours, Pat. Anyways, <laughs> and Ryan. See, yeah, I know. <laughs> so anyways, so, uh, so yeah. So, but isn't that how the devil wants you to be, though? For three of those, he wants you to not get in the turnabout and use it properly. I don't know who put this here. I'm suspecting my daughter. She's probably thinking of me. So I'm going to put that over there for right now. With the word of God, this is a turnabout, right? I mean, you can enter this, and it can be your path to salvation, or it could be your path not to destruction, but to disobedience. How about that? Which will lead to your destruction as far as eternal life, right? So the Word of God is just like that. Um, you know, and here's the crazy thing is you're going to have bystanders that are going to watch you crash <laughs> sometimes. They're going to watch you go the same way time and time again. How many of you guys have ever seen the movie Groundhog Day? Yeah, it's one of, one of my favorite movies, you know. It's just, it's really interesting, you know. But, but here, how about we, we talk about that, though, because how about, how many of you guys have friends that you guys revisit the same conversation over and over again? You guys don't go forward with anything. You don't go back with anything. It's just the same. Or how about this? I have some great friends that, you know, I can hang out with, but they're just not good for me because... You know, they take me, if God's standard is up here for me, and I'm right here, and then I start talking, and we're right there for about 20 minutes, and then all of a sudden, it's just going nowhere quick, and I'm going right down the ladder, and it might be disguised with humor, you know, or just petty talk, but nonetheless, I'm giving in as I'm going down. And then there's the other ones, though, that the conversations are life-changing, that are easy. Um, Shane and I had a talk about that yesterday. You know, just having healthy relationships that do something for you, whether you're being a mentor or you're being mentored or you're being an encourager, you know, and it's effortless, you know. And, and those ones are really really hard because those are the ones that a lot of times you don't get the opportunity to be part of a lot because you need to be there for other people you know so we have to we have to be real conscious of that you know uh, i'm just sick of shallow relationships you know the ones that just repeat over and over again those are really damaging to my spirit the ones that drag me down are too but the ones that repeat themselves, I can see the ones that drag me down. But the ones that are like lulling me to sleep, those ones aren't going anywhere for him or for me, right? So I got to be real careful that, that I don't jeopardize the holiness that God's put inside of me. Because that's really important. It's, it's so important for my relationship, for my wife, for my kids, for my family, for my friends, you know. I want you guys to look at this. This um, Coach is going to really like this one. Ken probably will too. So Song of Solomon 2.15 says, Catch for us the foxes, the little foxes that run, ruin the vineyards, our vineyards that are in bloom. 
You know, it's in Song of Solomon, so that's kind of cool anyways. But here's the thing, though. What are the little foxes? That's the enemy, right? That's sin, right? Here's the, here's the thing, though. It doesn't say just to run them off, right? It doesn't say just to shoo them away. It says to get rid of them. It says to catch them. Now, if you got a whole bunch of hens that you're expecting to get the eggs to eat, right? And a fox is in your coop, and he's chowing on your hens, are you going to relocate it so it's somebody else's issue? This is the stuff that I can identify with right here. Uh Uh-uh, you're going to kill it, right? You're going to kill it. You're going to take care of it. You're not going to create a problem for somebody else. You're not going to put it in a box somewhere and feed it and try to domesticate it, right? And I'm guilty of that, trying to domesticate my sin, you know? Instead, you've got to kill it. You've got to take care of it, right? You have to destroy it. And the thing is, is when you destroy things like that, sometimes they die an ugly death. If you want to hear about an ugly death, let me know after church. I'll share a story with you about a sheep in Mexico. That's an ugly death. Yeah, there's only a few guys in your life that would do something like this. I would be one of them. However, though, sometimes you just got to eat, right? So, but they're ugly deaths. There's something that you have to do. And they're really important that you do it, that you stand up and you actually do it. Because if not, what's going to suffer? My relationship with my wife's going to suffer. And then, my, more importantly, though, my relationship with God will suffer. The holiness that he's put in me will be covered up by blackness that comes from him. Right? And, that, and that's ugly. But here is the thing. Uh, I've got a scripture here, Psalms 144. It says, Blessed be God, my mountain, who trains me to fight fair and well. He's the bedrock on which I stand, the castle in which I live. My rescuing knight, the high crag where I run for dear life, where he lays my enemies low. When I heard your word, you know, you start out with saying it's a warrior. That's the mentality that we have to have. You know, you have to have, you're going to, when you're tackling somebody, you're running right through them. You're just not knocking them down, right? I mean, you're running right through the guy. It's the same thing. You know, he, he provides you. He trains you. He raises you up to be able to withstand sometimes the torments of the enemy or at least the temptations of the enemy, right? I want you to know that it's time to stop harassing. You know, when Jesus said, go, when he spoke, to the devil and said, Satan, get behind me. He was speaking to the devil. He wasn't talking about the situation, right? He was speaking to the healing that needed to, be, needed to take place. It's not so much the healing, maybe physically, but how about the healing spiritually or the healing mentally? You have to speak those things, and you have to speak the word of life into those things, Right? I mean, you have to. I did that for a dramatic pause. 
say that. That's nice. That's great. Because here's the thing. The relationships that I have in my life are worth fighting for minute by minute and hour by hour. I mean, all you guys are kids. I think everybody's included in that, right? And a lot of you guys have kids. And those relationships, whether they're good or bad, they're worth fighting for, aren't they? I mean, they really are. So uh, turn to uh, Psalms 56.5. And this is how the devil works right here. I mean, I know we got some wrestlers in the room. Right? I mean, and anybody that's got a brother, they know what it means to wrestle. Or a best friend that used to wrestle, you know, and that used to put a beat down on you until you figured out a few moves. You know, but it says, All day long they trist, twist my words and they trouble my affairs. All their thoughts are against me for evil in my hurt. You know, once you realize that that's what the devil has for you, you realize that you're in a battle. I mean, I, I love Ephesians six twelve. It's one of my favorites. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against uh, principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. I mean, that's where our fight is. You know, if the if the devil can get you to wrestle with your flesh. How much more power is he going to have in your spiritual realm? I mean, we need to be able to defeat all that. And I, and I love it because it's a fight. And I'm ready for a fight. I mean, you know, here's the thing. You know, crappy things happen. I did it again, honey. Bad things happen to Christians all the time. For a reason, though. Chelsea and I just talked about this. You know, we become more seasoned, don't we? You know, military term, we become more salty. Experienced. Right? And how to defeat them. And how to help somebody else defeat them. Because I want to be the husband that God wants me to be. The parent that God wants me to be. I want to be the nephew. You know, the uncle. I want to be the son. You know, I want to be the friend that God wants me to be. And how can I do that if I don't identify what I need to do? If I'm going to sit in the chair all the time and just be rocked to sleep, how can I do that? I love the fact, though, that I do it because I want to be a disciple of Christ. You know? And he's so powerful, and he does so many amazing things for us. And I'm not going to say he did, because he does. What does the Bible say? Same then, now, and forever, right? So he does. He just didn't do. So let's look at uh, Acts 10.38. It says, you know of Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power. And how he went through doing good and healing all those who were oppressed by the devil. For God was with him. You know, he gives us power. There's no asterisk there that, that says, Kevin, you don't get the power, bro. Sorry. Ben, I'm sorry. Got all those kids, you don't get any power. 
you know, Gary, you don't get no power. You know, surely no power for you. Mom, no power. He, there's no asterisk there, right? He gives us all the power. He says, we'll do greater things. Wrap your mind around that. But it's got to start somewhere, right? We're anointed. We have that power. So I, I would challenge you to do as Christ did. When he, was attempted, when he was tempted by the devil, he said in Matthew 4.10, he said, Go, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and serve only who? Him. Only God. And think about that just for a moment. When thoughts come into your head, what are you going to say? Go. I mean, when it says go here, it's not like, hey, go, Satan. He's screaming, go. He's speaking to it, go. And that's what we need to do. We need to go. We can't cage it. We have to kill it. We have to get rid of it. So I would recommend, you know, that you memorize a few scriptures. And one of the ones that I have my boys uh, memorize is Philippians 4.13. You know, it's, it's, it's a great one because it's just easy, you know. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I mean, come on. The best part is his strength. You know, Avery's like, oh, does it mean I'll be strong, Dad? I'm like, yeah, you know, muscle-wise, yeah, physical, sure. But Avery, there's, three, there's two other things there. How about mental and spiritual? How about those things? I mean, he says all things. He does, just doesn't say one thing. And my favorite part is if you, re, if you get to the end of the Bible, you know, who wins? Satan doesn't win. Who holds the keys in the end? Jesus Christ does. The devil doesn't hold the keys. But if you let him put you in the box and turn the key, you'll, you'll feel as though you're trapped, and you're not. So... You know what? Hold on one sec. Oh, there it is right there. Yeah, that's okay. So I would, I would, uh, I want you guys to know that you guys are going to be called to stand in the gap at some point for each other. You know? I mean, um, the last, uh, I haven't preached though in like, gosh, two, two months. It's been a long time. You know, and things just happen. Life happens, right? But I've had so many people stand in the gap for me on a lot of different fronts. And you guys know who you are. It's an amazing thing that I'm able to call on those people and have them do it in a way. And, you know, one of the things that I, a guy told me was this, you know, a guy, his pastor, you know, Pat. He said, Chris, what's your end result in this whole deal? Well, I had my own idea of the end result. And the end result was, is to keep a little bit of the, of the devil alive in this situation. So, so I could, I could uh, just fester anger or hatred or whatever it was, you know, rage, all those different things. Just, you know, bitterness, resentment, and things that I didn't need to hold on to. And then I got called out on it. And I had people standing in the gap, praying for me. You know, and all the while, you know, he says, what's your end result? And I said, I, 
I said, I don't know. He goes, well, if it's not this, if it's not God's perfection in this, then you're only batting 700 instead of 1,000. Now, I can relate to that. You know, I don't think I've ever went 10 for 10. But I'll go 3 for 3 on occasion. But, but it's that. It's, it's the surrender. You know, it's about closing a door. Now, there's a few of you guys that went through that sozo thing. You know, and I went through it too. And I had no idea what it was, you know. I mean, none. The guy says, well, what do you expect to get out of this? I'm thinking. I just said, I said, I don't know, but if it gets me closer to God, I'm cool with it. I mean, I didn't know. I didn't know if I was going to get a revelation. I mean, I had no idea. But I went in open to, to it, you know. They do this thing, though, that after each session, you clap your hands to close the door. And you clap them loud, you know. So it's a loud clap. And I thought, man, you know, so you get some closure to things by just going through the motion. And he said that it actually activates some gland in the top of your spine, bottom of your skull there, you know, and actually releases some type of a thing. I don't know what, if, the, if uh, I'm sure it, it must, but I can tell you that it actually, after the second or third time, I was looking forward to the clap, right, to the closure of the deal, Right? Patty, you got through two of them, right? There's still a couple more to clap at, right? I mean, that's an awesome thing. It's just an opportunity, right? But here's what I would say. How many of you guys need to close a door? How many need to get rid of a fox? I mean, I'd be willing to say that just about every one of us has a fox that can go. You know, maybe it's a part of our relationship with our wives or with our kids that just needs to be healed or remedied. Um, you know, like in the video, how the, the husband and wife, you know, they went to sleep without reconciling. Exactly what the Bible says not to do, right? I mean, it's those things. Maybe we just need to reconcile. Here's a scary thing is, though, if we don't treat the Word of God as truth and as it being strong enough to defeat the devil, then this is what can happen. Uh, look in Luke 11, 24 and 26. Actually, 23 is really good, but I'm just going to read this one. This is from uh, the message. Uh, it says, When a corrupting spirit is expelled from someone, it drifts along through the desert looking for an oasis, some unsuspecting soul that it can bedevil. When it doesn't find anyone, it says, I'll go back to my own haunt, or my old haunt. On return, it finds the person swept and dusted, but vacant. It then runs out and rounds up seven other spirits dirtier than itself, and they all move in, hooping it up. The person ends up far worse than if he never got cleansed or cleaned up in the first place. You guys, if you guys get rid of it, if you kill the fox that's in your vineyard and don't put something in its place, just like this scripture says, think about it in a house. You go in and renovate a house. If it sits vacant, somebody can break in, start living there. You know, people can destroy it. Maybe it doesn't get winterized. So per, 
pipes bursts. I mean, all these different things can happen. Guys, we can't leave a vacancy once we've killed that sin that's in our life. We have to fill it with something. We have to be a warrior. We have to swing a sword. This is our sword. I didn't see any of my boys here. Oh, there's one of them, right? There's a couple of them right there. All right. So, Avery, I got a funny story for you, and I'm going to end on this. Because this is how the Word of God is, right? So I shoot a bunch of geese with, with uh, Shane and a couple other guys. And it looks like a war zone at my house, right? I mean, I got the wind's blowing. I got goose f- feathers flying everywhere. And we shot, it was opening day of duck season. We shot one duck, and it was a coot. Anybody knows about a coot, you know, that's the stinkiest fish tasting duck you've ever seen, you know. So I'm breasting out all the geese. I look over, and little Avery over there has got a pottery barn knife. Now, this thing is like a quarter inch thick, has no blade. The serrated, you know, it's serrated, but it's like fish scale. I'm telling you, I could put it on your arm, Tyler, and try to cut the skin, and I could never do it. I mean, it is that dull. Avery manages to get the duck's stomach open. And next thing you know, I got guts everywhere, right? I mean, it is just a mess, you know? Isn't that, though, how a lot of us treat the Word of God? This is our sword. How much easier it would have been for him, he probably wouldn't have any fingers left, but if I would have gave him a sharp knife. It's so important, you guys, that there's two edges on a sword. You guys have to have them sharp because it doesn't do you any good. Anybody ever try to chop a piece of wood, cut down a tree with a dull axe, and then you put an edge on it and you take one swing and you just can't believe the difference? I mean, I know I'm a, I'm a stonemason, so I put a new diamond blade saw and I try to cut a piece of granite. cuts like that. If the thing's a month old, it's a struggle. The vacancies in your life have to be filled with something. Once you get rid of what is straight from Satan, you need to fill it with this. You know, God gives you this, and he lets you do with it what you want. For some of you, that's kind of daunting. You know, for others, though, it's not. It's a challenge. For me, it's a challenge. It's a challenge to identify things. It's a challenge for me not to be passively rocked to sleep every single day. For me, it means that I have to surrender in such a way that wouldn't make any sense to anybody unless you've had to surrender like that because your family has to see it from you. They have to be able to identify with it from you because how in the world could they ever identify it when they read this if they can't see you walking it out? What if, what if your kids' folks or what if your kids never saw you guys surrender or reconcile? 
where the tension was always there. What kind of example is that? So for most of you guys, I'm talking to the men especially, surrender is getting down on your knees. Not to your wife. To God. Surrender it. And then to your wife wouldn't be a bad deal either. Makes for a lot better marriage when she knows that you've surrendered your life to Christ and your, your answer to higher authority than yourself. Because she already knows what yourself looks like. <laughs> you know, sometimes for me, that's not such a good thing. You know. So uh, somebody shared just, you know, a couple weeks ago this, this psalm with me. Where's Daniel? Come do a little strumming for me, Daniel. I would, but that would be bad news. I'll get Shane up here next time. Play the drums. That would be even worse. <laughs> So I want you guys to, uh, if you guys have your Bible, you know, I, can you guys turn down the house lights a little bit? I just want you to read what God would, I guess, I guess this, is, this is the deal. I'm trying to live my life through a psalm, it, you know, and Chelsea said, Dad, Dad, you know, I really, I really dig some of these psalms, you know, this is a really good one. And then she says, you know, I guess they're all good, Dad, you know, now that I think about it. Well, they are. No, but how many guys have one that just kind of grabs a hold of you and, and just keeps you close to him? This psalm is Psalm 91. I'm just going to read it to you. Um, and it's a really cool one because it speaks to guys that are manly and women that are just spiritually in tuned and guys that should be less manly on the outside, you know, and more spiritually in tune to what God would have for you. So I'm just going to start. It says, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will find rest in the shadow of the Almighty. How many of you guys need rest? How many of you guys are just running and tired? It says, I will say of the Lord that He is my refuge, my fortress, my God in whom I trust. wife, your husband, your kids, your mom and your dad, they need to be able to see that in you. He says, surely he will save me from the fowler's snare and from the daily pestilence. He will cover you with his, with his feathers and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and your rampart. You will not fear. God says, you will not fear the terror of the night nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys at midday. I love this. Talks about our enemies here. A thousand may fall at your side, 10,000 at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only observe with your eyes and see the punishment of the wicked. If you make the most high your dwelling, see, God's challenging you. Even the Lord who is my refuge, then no harm will befall you. No disaster will come near your tent, for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. I mean, 
just an amazing thing. He says that they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone and you will tread upon the lion and the cobra and you will trample the great lion and the serpent. Because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him and I will protect him for he acknowledges my name. He will call upon me and I will answer him. He will be in trouble and I will deliver him and I will honor him. And it just wouldn't be complete if you didn't read 16. With long life, I will satisfy him and I will show him my salvation. If there's a life lesson, it's this. You know, everybody needs to see God's salvation. So today's the day that we close the door and we kill the foxes. When you put the the nice rocking chair, you put that in your closet somewhere or you burn it. (laughs) It might be the best thing. You know, you just get rid of it. If you're not desiring God because of those things, those things need to go. You know. Yeah. And we need to have people in our lives, you guys, that'll call us out when you're only 70% there instead of the 100% that God desires. Those are going to be hard times, but they're worth it. So anybody needs to to close the door, you guys need to spread your hands out about that big. Then at one time, everybody's going to do it. I know you guys all got a door. Every one of you got a and on three. One, two, three. It's done. All right. You guys are warriors. All right. So let's pray. Father, we just thank you. We thank you for just who you are. I'll never understand why you let us go through the things that you let us go through. But I am so thankful that through all that, that there's a testimony that we can help other people that are in the same situation or have experienced the same sort of thing, Lord. I thank you for your word that just walks and talks. And I pray that we would all acknowledge what it can do in our lives, that we wouldn't run through life with a pottery barn knife, that we'd have something that can do some damage to the devil, Lord. Lord, I just pray a covering. When you tick off the devil, he comes back sometimes with seven spirits, it says. I pray that we fill those vacancies up with your word, with godly relationships that that honor you, that show the holiness of you through us, Lord. And Father, I just, I thank you. I thank you so much that I cannot understand how it works. That you've made me out of flesh, but you've put your, you've put you in me. And I thank you that you've armed me where I can defeat that flesh and die to it. 
Father, I just pray that we'd have a great week, a great life. And Lord, I thank you so much for dying for me. In Jesus' name, amen.